0: From WOUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Caitlin McCleskey. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from Southeast Ohio. This week on The Outlet, this year's Athena Award recipient has been announced. It's
1: such a great night, not to just uh, acknowledge the nominees, which we had great nominees, but to acknowledge the disability community here in Athens.
0: And Ohio University celebrates fathers coming to campus.
2: It means a lot because as an out-of-state student, I barely get to see my family. Um, So these weekends are really special because I get to have a little bit of home um, so far away.
0: These stories and more, right here on The Outlet. The city of Athens is celebrating this year's winner of the Athena Award. Outlet reporter Jack Green has more on what this award means for people advocating for those with disabilities.
1: William Peacock says doctors believed he wouldn't be able to walk or talk. I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. I, um, doctors told my mother I couldn't walk or talk. Now, 56 years later, he not only speaks for himself, but for hundreds in the community and was honored with the 2023 Athena Award by the city in front of dozens of people for his work. I feel like it's a dream come true for me. Peacock is the president of People First Ohio's Athens Chapter, a group advocating for people with disabilities across the state. He also has helped pressure state lawmakers to ban the use of derogatory language in legislation. Davy McNelly, chair of the Athens City Commission on Disabilities, says the award is to showcase people like Peacock it's such a great night not to just uh, acknowledge the nominees which we had great nominees but to acknowledge the disability community here in Athens J.W. Smith is a former winner and says we don't recognize these people often
3: I was so happy for Billy and I just don't think we
1: recognize people like him enough and I loved it he says Peacock's work speaks to the man he is
3: some people complain about things and they talk about how much better things would be if, if, if. He he, he takes his if and goes up there and tries to make a difference.
1: Making a difference. Friend, I'll fight this battle with you. For people often left behind. Reporting for the outlet, I'm Jack Green in Athens.
0: Alden Library was turned into a mini golf course to celebrate Dad's Weekend at Ohio University. Outlet reporter Mae Kaczynski speaks to attendees.
4: The third, fourth, and fifth floors of Alden Library transformed into a mini golf course this past Saturday for Dad's Weekend. Students and their dads teed off and putted their way through several obstacles including everything from globes to whiteboards. The makeshift mini-golf course provided many students and fathers with laughs and memories.
2: It means a lot because as an out-of-state student, I barely get to see my family. Um, So these weekends are really special because I get to have a little
4: bit of home um, so far away. Not only were students able to talk to and visit with their families, but fathers were also grateful to have the opportunity to see their children.
5: It's really special. Like she said, um, she's an out-of-state student, so we only get to see her a couple times a semester and so I really cherish these times that I get to spend with her.
4: Competitive rivalries were rekindled and several families found that mini golf was the best way to spend quality time with their students. Reporting for The Outlet, I'm Megan Kaczynski.
0: Deesha Hawk, a reporter for The Post, a high university's independent student-run newspaper, recently reported on how the Athens community puts together meals for people in need. So why is the Athens community giving out these meals, Disha?
4: So Athens has a lot of food instability because of its high poverty levels. Right now it's the second poorest county in the state, and because of that, obviously food instability is a really big problem. And also Athens has a huge student population because Ohio University is here. And because of that, students sometimes have trouble getting access to their three meals a day when they don't have a stable income usually. So a lot of, like, local organizations kind of found the need um, to give out meals for the community.
0: Yeah, and then speaking of those organizations, which ones are providing these meals?
4: Okay, so Cat's Cupboard, which is located at the top of Baker Center, basically has a list on their website of, like, different community meals, or different meals that each, that different organizations offer every day so students can pick and choose where they want to go and when they're available. For my article, I talked to UCM and the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd, which are all basically on campus, and they offer, UCM offers meals once a week, and um, the Church of the Good Shepherd offers meals once a month now, but because of, they used to be weekly, but now because of COVID, they only offer them like once a month.
0: And then are there any specific reasons that these organizations are providing these meals?
4: A lot of them obviously just wanna feed people and help with food instability in the community. But when I was talking to leaders of those organizations, they also really wanted to have a place for the community to kind of come together over a warm meal and just like provide people with a comfortable atmosphere and a place to be social when like that might not be on someone's mind if they're dealing with food instability.
0: Yeah, and then how long have the community meals been passed around in Athens?
4: Um, So UCM just celebrated their, like, 30-year anniversary of hosting weekly meals. Um, They do Wednesday suppers and Thursday lunches. or or It might be flipped around. But, yeah, and then the Episcopal Church has been doing it for 25 years, but they recently had it toned down from once a week to once a month. But there's been a lot of organizations that do, like, community meals for at least 30 years.
0: And then what impact have these meals had on the community?
4: Mm, I think a lot of these meals have led to the community, I guess, being more aware of, like, issues going around um, locally. So a lot of them have, like, like other, other initiatives going on outside of meals. So I know the Church of the Good Shepherd, they have a thrifting shop also, which is, um, they told me that it was literally just so students can have a place to come and get clothes that they might not usually have access to on campus, and um, it's a lot cheaper than going, like, outside of campus to buy clothes, and, um, yeah, and also it just helps bring the community together, either volunteering and working together to make a meal, or um, receiving a meal and, like, sitting down and being able to talk to other people.
0: That was Deesha Hawk from The Post. This segment is a part of a collaboration between Ohio University's longest-running independent student-run newspaper and WOUB Public Media. The reporting was done by The Post, and the audio is brought to you by the production team at WOUB. To read Disha's full story, visit thepostathens.com. The days are starting to get shorter in southeast Ohio. WOEB lead forecaster Emily Dietz explains the process of daylight savings time and how it started. So, Emily, for today's topic, we're going to be talking about daylight savings time since it just happened last weekend. What can you kind of tell us about this concept?
3: Yeah, so I kind of went on a little bit of a deep dive. (laughs) It was actually really interesting to read about because it was actually first proposed by Benjamin Franklin in 1784, but he was semi-joking about it just because he felt he was wasting time in bed in the morning and he also thought it would help with candle consumption and save money on that. So it was written as kind of a joke, and then um, later down the road about 100 years later, um, actually the credit goes to George Hudson from New Zealand in 1895 who proposed a two hour shift in the fall and in the spring, which I don't know about you, but two hours would be a lot. I can barely handle an hour, especially when you're in the spring where you spring forward.
0: That's like me going to bed for maybe eight to nine hours sleep to get me like six to seven.
3: Exactly, exactly. Definitely not ideal. So that was the first kind of proposal of daylight savings time. And so a lot of countries kind of like went off that, but like not till the 1900s. So Canada first implemented the one hour time shift. In 1908, but if you look online to see like oh who implemented it first, it will say Germany in 1916 because they tried to implement it back in 1908, but it didn't really take well with Parliament. And then in 1916, um, Germany was the first nation in Europe to cut, um, and this was due to help cut energy costs and help with the war effort since we're um, getting into World War One now. And then. Fast forward a couple years, getting into America now. Uh, it was decided in 1966 by American lawmakers that the shift would happen at 2 a.m., and that's kind of when daylight savings time really hit America. But the idea was to move the time of sunlight from the early mornings into the evenings to help people um, sort of have more time in the day. I guess people were talking about it as that. And then a common misconception is that everyone thinks it's farmers, but it's not really the farmer's reason, which was, I do thought that was kind of interesting yeah and it really just yeah it wasn't really any farmers because they're actually kind of upset by that if you read it because it kind of shifts their daytime and it's good for small businesses though who are staying open later because the hour of sunlight pushed to the evening kind of keeps people wanting to go outside a bit more but for farmers it really wasn't that ideal and that's part of the reason why things were pushed off so much especially in europe way back in the early 1900s because a lot of farming people they just it wouldn't really work for them but Um, A lot of countries near the equator don't observe daylight savings just because there's enough equal sun that they don't really need that shift in time. But also looking back at ancient civilizations too, the way they kept time, uh, they had pretty similar practices as daylight savings. It wasn't as exact as like changing clock, but still it was kind of interesting to read about. I think it was was either ancient Greek or ancient Romans. I can't remember, but they used water as a way to kind of keep their clocks going, and that was kind of uh, interesting to read about how they shifted their times based on the sunlight as well.
0: Wow, that's... I probably didn't even know half of that. And now that I know, it's kind of just like opened my eyes a little bit more to what the concept really is. But I am now not looking forward to spring forward at all. (laughs) Because when that rolls around, oh, it's going to be me in a grumpy mood because I didn't get enough sleep. But we will talk about that later on next year, probably. But what can you tell us about the weather for this upcoming weekend?
3: Yeah, so the weather's actually looking really nice for this weekend. I mean, we had a lot of warm weather, as I'm sure you've been feeling. I haven't been enjoying it. You know, we're in November. We had a little bit of snow on November 1st. But now that we're in November, I'm ready for cold weather. I'm ready for sweatshirts. The leaves are all off the trees, you know. But um, so it'll be warm tomorrow a little bit as well. And we're expecting a little bit of rain uh, in the morning hours since we're actually going to have a cold front coming through. So... Yay, fall weather, but uh, that cold air is going to bump up against that warm air, cause some clouds and precipitation. And that'll be during the morning commute hours on Thursday, uh, around 6 a.m., 7 a.m. So I guess going to work times as well. But that'll just leave us with a cloudy day on Thursday and going on into Friday. But that's when things are really going to cool down. We're going to see weather in the 50s for the next upcoming week, but at least it'll be sunny. So we have high pressure that's going to push clouds out of the way, and it's going to look like a nice week. I'm kind of at least excited for that. So chilly sunny weather we're inching closer into fall weather even though we've been saying that for weeks but hopefully it'll stick around uh, for a while.
0: Ohio University soccer team is on its way to the NCAA tournament after a MAC championship for the first time in school history. Sports Director Aiden Crowley and Associate Sports Director Marie Manessi join us to talk about what this achievement means for the program. So guys, one of our programs made school history over the weekend. Aiden, I'm going to go to you first. What can you tell us about this historic, historic achievement?
5: Man, Caleb, it was awesome. You mentioned it. The Ohio women's soccer team came away with the victory in the Mac tournament, the first ever in school history, which is hard to believe. Obviously, Ohio founded in 1804 and everything with the longest standing university in Ohio. There's a bunch of rich history there. And for this team to go out there and do that and make that statement and write, like you mentioned, write their names in the history book is amazing and it was one of those situations where on their last regular season game they didn't even know if they made the tournament yet they had to wait hours after the game to figure out if they made it in they were that last team in the sixth seed they were playing well at the end of the season and carried that momentum throughout the tournament they upset the three seed they upset the two seed got Kent State the four seed in the final They went down 1-0 five minutes into the match, and that seemed to wake them up because in the second half they came out, scored two quick goals. Shout out to Scout Murray, who was named the most valuable player in the tournament. She had the game ceiling goal, obviously the game winner earlier in the second half, that gave them that 2-1 lead, and they were on cloud nine after that. And Maria and I got to go to Beat ups to watch their watch party for their first ever NCAA tournament, which is a really cool experience. They got Michigan State as the team that they drew. Uh, typically, they like to do regionality in the first round. So you were going to play a team kind of in the Midwest, and Michigan State happened to be the draw. So they'll travel to East Lansing to take on the Spartans. And this team, we talked about them. Uh, they were just carrying that underdog mentality that they had in the MAC tournament game into their first ever NCAA uh, tournament experience. But just for them to be in this position, a lot of people wrote them off, and they got hot at the right time. And now they they told us, Maria, they have nothing left to lose at this point. So they're going to go out there, leave it all out on the field, play it for their seniors. But uh, just an incredible story from this weekend, a really, really cool thing to kind of just sit down and watch. And I asked, it was funny, I asked Aaron Rodgers if he's had a second to breathe since the game-clinching moment, and he said no. It's just been a whirlwind kind of week for this soccer team, but really, really cool stuff.
0: And then to kind of move on, unfortunately, football did lose to Miami for Battle of the Bricks a few weeks back. However, they did win on Tuesday against Buffalo. Maria, I'm going to go to you. What did we see throughout this game?
2: Yeah, obviously a tough loss in the Battle of the Bricks for Ohio. Um, definitely one in the Mackey's race. Obviously don't control their own destiny anymore. Another Mac East opponent, Buffalo, on the road. Definitely a tough place to play at. Head coach Tim Alvin said after the game that the last three or four times that they've been there, it's been a one-score game, so obviously a tough place to play. But Ohio came out on top with a 20-10 to 10 victory, a much-needed victory, especially after that loss. But um, the beginning of the game obviously did not look good for Ohio. Um, It was held to just 41 yards on 14 plays on offense, and they really just couldn't get into a flow. And I think that was one of the biggest things. I think they only had two first downs in the first half as well. So speaking with quarterback Curtis Work at the end of the game, I think the biggest thing for them was they weren't able to capitalize on their downs, and that was something he said they emphasized at halftime, just executing, getting in the flow which they were able to do in the second half. C.A. Bengura, running back, had two touchdowns. Obviously, big for them. Just They've struggled in the running game the past couple weeks, so I think that was big, especially for C.A. They finished with 115 yards on the ground. And the defense, all game, like they played all season, just dominated and was able to hold Buffalo specifically in the first half and just to close out the game. But obviously a much-needed victory, especially after that tough loss to Miami, just to be able to get it done against Buffalo was big for
0: them. Yeah, and then to now move into volleyball, Maria, I'm going to go back to you. What happened with them over the weekend?
2: Yeah, obviously a big weekend for volleyball. They swept Eastern Michigan. They still sit at second place in the MAC East just as the regular season kind of winds down. Tournament starting in a couple weeks. They only have one series left and then a midweek game versus Kent State. So just kind of looking ahead a little bit, obviously that sweep against Eastern Michigan helped them remain in that second spot. But... A big weekend for them, especially with it being senior day on Saturday. They honored seven seniors. But someone who really stood out all weekend was Cam Hunt, um, freshman outside hitter. She's really stood out the past couple weeks um, and all season, just really stepped up for them. She led with kills on both Friday and Saturday, along with Caroline Klippard. They both had 11 kills on Friday and then 12 on Saturday. But yeah, just a big weekend for them. Obviously, now they travel to Central Michigan for their last weekend series, um, which will be big. Just kind of looking forward as they look to get a spot in the MAC tournament. Um, this should be a big weekend for them. They're six spots in the MAC tournament: three from the MAC East and three from the MAC West make it. So, looking to keep that second spot.
0: Yeah, and then as we're seeing fall sports start to wind down, are getting into tournament play. Aiden, what can you tell us about men's basketball?
5: Yeah, Caleb. Personally, I'm going to be a little selfish here. My favorite time of the year. Um, You mentioned it. Winter sports are heating up. They're right around the corner. And this Ohio basketball team is poised to make some noise, I think, in the Mac. And it really comes down to their guard play. Uh, the Mac just released their preseason All Mac Awards, and Jalen Hunter was awarded as first team All Mac. Obviously, he was the transfer who came in and immediately made a splash for this Ohio team. He seemed to fit the culture really well. It seems like when Jeff Bowles targets the transfer portal, he's looking for a specific kind of player who fits Ohio systems very well, and that was Jalen Hunter last year. He was able to come in and make a splash, an instant team leader, which is not always the case for a transfer. And then, of course, he was nasty on the court, hitting shots from deep. He's a three-level scorer. He's also a lefty, so that adds to it as well. But obviously they're going to lean on him as kind of the main scoring option for him this season. But watch out for a fully healthy AJ Brown. The sophomore from Orlando, Florida, was banged up a little bit last season. Was able to get fully healthy in the tournament run and obviously dropped a career high performance, uh, 20 plus points in that MAC uh, tournament game. And he was awarded MAC second team as a sophomore. So obviously they see the potential in him. I asked Jalen Hunter about Brown and seeing him for a full offseason and Jalen. Hunter put it simply he said he's a star and he's somebody who's going to light up the scoreboard so this backcourt for Ohio is going to be the main focus There's a little bit of question marks on the backcourt. I think that's where they could struggle a little bit this year, get uh, dominated inside. It's going to be up to a couple of the forwards to step their game up, uh, specifically inside with physicality and getting rebounds. And I think this Ohio team can compete for a MAC championship. I think the talent is there. They're just going to have to figure a couple pieces out, um, and they get their first one started against Troy. So we're excited to see it.
0: That's all we have for you this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is produced each week by me, Caleb McCleskey. We're edited by Teach Bidia, Aaron Payne, and David Forster. Adam Richards, our technical assistant, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Enjoy our show? Tell a friend to give us a listen. They can subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud or Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts, or find us online at woub.org. They can also follow us on Twitter at outlet underscore W-O-U-B and Instagram at newswatch underscore W-O-U-B. We'll be back next week with more stories from Southeast Ohio.